Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Few things generate more public anguish or media column inches than our transport system, particularly our roads and our rail and bus networks. And the start of 2023 has done us proud in this area, delivering the road review, the claim to, well, a mixed fanfare, and some interesting byproducts from the fallout. Our rail industry has been knocked sideways with a 40% increase in the cost of the much heralded South Wales Metro, and buses are awaiting announcement on the expected loss of continued emergency pandemic funding. It's safe to say that it's not been the best year for the traveller. Joining us tonight to discuss transport in Wales are Ed Evans, the Director of the Civil Engineering Contractors Association Wales and Trustee of Pedal Power. Hello, Ed. Hi. Uh, Aaron Hill, the Director of the Confederation of Passenger Transport in Wales. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Matt. Great to be here. Thank you very much for being here. And Paula Renzel, Welsh Roads and Climate Campaigner for Transport Action Network, Cymru. Hello, Paula. Hello. Thank you so much all for being with us today. Ed, we're going to start with you. The Rose Review has obviously been quite a big thing for uh, your membership at Seeker, but can you talk us through a little bit about what's been announced and how the road building sector has reflected on this? Thanks, Matt. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a bolt from the blue, to be honest with you. And I think as a sector, we, we've been quietly trying to get on with decarbonising, uh, whether it be our own activities, whether it be um, in the roads network, um, transport, energy, etc. So it's not it wasn't a surprise in that respect. And to be honest with you, I think, um, you know, looking across the whole of the UK and maybe beyond as well, I'd, I'd argue it's quite a bold step from the Welsh Government. And it's something that I suspect that other governments will have to follow in some shape or form. Uh, they might not call it a roads review. They might call it something else, but I suspect they will have to. And we're kind of seeing some movement in, in England, for instance, with uh, some slowing down of, uh, of, of roads projects. Um, some of them probably because of investment issues um, and the current uh, economic climate. But I suspect there's a few uh, environmental issues in there. Um, I think more specifically for us, um, you know, in my, in my role as representing civil engineering contractors, you know, these are businesses. They uh, employ huge amounts of people across the board, probably about 6,000 directly in Wales. That's, a, you know, that's, a, that's an Airbus, so that's, a, that's a Tata plus. So big economic con contributors. And I think what's been disappointing, I suppose, is, is the lack of engagement throughout this process with the sector. There has been some engagement, but not a great deal. But, you know, we knew which way it was going. But it would have still been good to have had that engagement just to give some kind of reassurance and, and um, some certainty, if you can call it that, for these businesses. It's taken a lot longer than it was expected to take as well, which, again, hasn't particularly helped. However, we are where we are. There's some pretty challenging conditions in the, uh, in, in the report. It'll be interesting to see how many of those are actually are stuck to in the future, because I think some of the issues around economic development, I think, will be challenging, if not for this government, then for future governments. Nevertheless, it's good to get it out there. And now we need to crack on now and start um, doing stuff. Um, that in itself is going to be challenging in, these, uh, in this current economic climate. But yeah, look, we're uh, probably a little bit more positive than you might think from the original uh, question. So can you talk a little bit about how that engagement from government occurred and how much they sort of let you in on before the announcement was made? Um, I think it's fair to say probably didn't. Uh, you know, and I can understand why, um, you know, there, there would have been people from the industry on the panel. Um, that's one thing. But, they, you know, they're individuals as opposed to uh, representing uh, businesses and, and different bodies. So minimal, I guess. We have been able to make, you know, there were certain engagement sessions where we were able to make an input. But I, I, it was it was fairly fairly limited. That said, I mean, what we need to see now is the engagement now 
Um, so we can see what this means, like in terms of projects, effectively, uh, there'll be less roads, but I expect there to be a lot more uh, expenditure on the maintenance of these highway assets and a lot more expenditure in terms of buses, active travel. We've seen it to a degree, but not a huge amount. That's the bit the business, you know, you, we, you, we accept there's no point dwelling on the past. We accept it's happened. Um, we need to move on. We need to address the climate uh, challenge. But we now need to see some concrete plans, uh, excuse the pun, but some concrete plans of, of, of how this is going to look like in the future so that businesses can plan for the future and employ people. There is an economic aspect to this. Uh, I mean, maybe not everybody was expecting Ed to be so optimistic, but you, of course, were very positive. Uh, about the uh, roads review announcement and what it outlined. Could you explain why you took that position and, and what your reflections were on the announcement of the roads review panel? Absolutely. I mean, it's very nice to hear from Ed as well. And I just read the blog post that you wrote about it, and which was, yeah, I mean, quite positive, frankly. From our perspective, the decision that Welsh Government took is a landmark decision and is one that we hope will encourage lots of other people to do the same. And as Ed said, it wasn't a surprise, it's needed. We just can't continue the way that we've been doing it. And so, yeah, I think um, I was actually working at Sustrans when we first saw the roads review in the agenda for the Senate, and I was wondering what it was at the time. And seeing it a couple of years onwards now, it's quite, it's, it's quite amazing to see what it's done, really. There is lots of issues and there's lots of things that need to be ironed out and things that need to be solved and criticisms that need to be made. However, as a standalone decision, it was quite groundbreaking and it really, really departs from most other countries' aspect on transport or perspective on transport, England, well, obviously being one of them. And so, yeah, uh, Wales is very much leading the way on that. Obviously, lots of things need to be done now, but it's it was very, very important that that decision was made and Wales is leading the way as a small nation on that. Do you think it is a standalone decision, though? Because if you look at decisions the Welsh Government have made in the past, say the cancelling of the M4 relief road project, this is just building on from those kind of decisions, isn't it? Should we, should we have really expected any grand detour? Pardon the, again, pardon the pun, there's so many road puns in this uh, episode today. Do, should we expect any grand detour from these kind of plans if this is the work that the Welsh Government have already embarked upon? No, what I mean by standalone is that the Welsh Government is quite alone in having made those decisions rather than it makes sense in terms of the, the kind of line that the Welsh Government have been taking over the last few years. However, it's quite something to do still in the face of adversity and contro controversy. I mean, it's quite a, you can see how controversial it has been and it still is. And so, yeah, I think the Welsh Government is doing something very bold here and that needs to be recognised. Aaron, I, I don't know if you want to comment on the road review in itself and, you know, the decision to stop road building, uh, new road building in Wales, really. But what I really wanted to draw out from you was, you know, the criticism the, the report has faced is around that it's done what it's done without really looking or commenting on the support needed to pick up the, the slack that such a policy will engender so you know the wider transport sectors are not got any other other obvious support to really address the kind of fallback in the road industry so what what's the bus industry take on um on the policy yeah Kerry I think I think it's quite interesting hearing Ed and Paula talk about you know their perspectives so I think if you read the runes the the outcome of the road review has been on the cards for a little while you know we've got this framework the well-being of future generations act which People talk about extensively 
And we need to start seeing more decisions being delivered within within that framework. This very much speaks to that longer term ambition. And from a bus industry's perspective, to see such explicit terms in there around the desire for modal shift in any future road building uh, is fantastic. I suppose the contradiction that we see is that very close to this road review, we also saw the decision around bus funding or bus emergency funding coming to an end. And it just feels like a significant contradiction in terms to say that we are taking this long-term view to cancel future road building, but really stringent constraints in place, really, around any future roads that would be built and with a positive intention towards public transport, but at the same time cutting the funding for public transport now. And, you know, the government has real aspirations around around modal shift, real positive aspirations around modal shift, and, and the bus industry wants to work with them on that. Bus and coach industry, you know, we will need both pulling in the same direction for that to happen. But... The decisions, the short term decisions around funding taken today will have long term implications. You know, I'm talking to members over the all over the country every day who are saying that the removal of funding might not just mean, you know, we use the headline 15 to 20 percent of routes being cut across Wales. But for smaller operators, it might be might mean their business goes under completely. It might mean the fleet, the vehicles, the drivers are removed from circulation. And so we end up with this kind of conflicting policy that should be complementary if you see where i'm coming from and and i think we talk a lot about joined up decision making we talk a lot about engagements already been mentioned and and floyd benewith the transport strategy for wales talks about co-producing our transport strategy engaging users engaging the industry and i think it's pretty clear that people don't feel engaged in this so while while the principle is good the framework is good and and even the the kind of aspiration i think there are there are some contradictions within what's happening overall within transport policy related to this at the moment. Without trying to offend our guests, I've got a question for Matt, even though he's hosting tonight. But Matt, you probably watch more of the Senate than anyone else on the pod. But there was a kind of interesting political side to, to the Roads Review where the Welsh Government ended up voting with the opposition on an amendment. You know, Can you just talk us through that kind of interesting political soundbite what exactly happened there again? Yeah, so, I mean, it, I think it all boils down to that word that Aaron just used then, engagement. So, in the very practical terms, you had a Welsh Conservative opposition debate on the Roads Review, which basically criticised the decision, expressed regret that um, there had been a lack of sufficient engagement with communities and businesses and basically the, the entirety of Wales about the decision. Plaid Cymru put a, an amendment forward to that debate it was slightly watered down but still expressed regret over the lack of engagement over from the welsh government and the panel with the announcement that was subsequent to come by the roads review panel so welsh labor had not put forward an amendment to that debate which is usually what they do on a opposition debate and they usually because they have the numbers to do so they normally change those motions and vote for something they're very happy with this time around they couldn't do that because they had themselves not put forward an amendment in time but due to the pressures of certain backbenchers in the Welsh Labour group, it appeared very likely that had they not voted for this watered-down amendment, that certain Labour backbenchers could have even voted for the Conservative amendment, which would be much more critical uh, of the Welsh Government and much more embarrassing for them. So essentially what, they, what Welsh Labour did is they voted for the Plaid Cymru amendment, which expressed some regret that there had been a lack of engagement over the process. It really was quite an interesting political... Uh sideshow from the road review there but um bring this back on track uh, away from the politics and more to the the policy 
Ed, some of the people I've spoken to about it all said that moving away from new road building for the industry isn't totally a bad thing. You know, it might mean that there's more impetus on addressing the infrastructure we've already got, so repairing what we have. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any shortage of road repairs out there. I was cycling in Cardiff today, and potholes remain a nemesis for active travel, never mind the new uh, routes we've got. But, you know, the example that sticks to my mind is the recent Menai Bridge, which was closed literally overnight. You know, our building infrastructure, the civil civil engineering inf- uh, teams have got a lot of work to do still, even if we're not building new, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, look, I think from a, apart from a few companies who really do depend on these large projects coming through because, they, you know, they, they're employing, you know, hundreds of people. So they do depend upon them for that continuity. I won't name them here. But in terms of some, uh, so we say, smaller contractors in particular, smaller businesses, then they probably have benefited from that redirection of work into active travel schemes, uh, maybe even some bus corridor schemes, you know, and into the rail sector as well. So from that point of view, it's not, um, you know, people have, had, you, you've got to adapt on you as, as businesses just to make sure that you can survive so that's been okay i think one of the things that we are currently disappointed about in fact i'm just in the process of uh, of writing to to the deputy minister on this is is the lack of investment or shift of investment into that maintaining our assets and and it's not just the transport sector is it let's face it it's the water sector it's the energy sector you don't get as many votes do you from um, from saying we're going to really maintain all this stuff that we've got you know who cares you want the shiny schemes doing this shiny projects so you know we've had decades of underinvestment here but we're not really seeing that coming through at the moment we're starting a financial year we have no idea what the government's plans are in terms of their investment into the highway network we just don't. I suspect it'll be a lot less because of things like overspends on uh, on, on on the rails in the rail sector. But you know, unless you've got that kind of, unless you're planning for the future, that was going to be our um, our silver lining, should we say? Um, you know, the businesses were were, were going to be able to invest into this, and not just invest in doing the old stuff of just chucking a load of tarmac down, but actually looking at new materials different kinds of materials that don't have as much of a carbon impact. Because, you know, if we're going to maintain these things, there's no point doing them the same way we used to do, because that'll just mean quarrying more stuff, um, sticking more tar into things, uh, fossil fuels and all the rest of it. And, and, and really just, um, well, we haven't shifted the carbon, uh, the, the carbon agenda forward. So if you've got that level of investment coming through, you can start to plan for that. You can get business to invest in new techniques, new practices, new materials, they ain't going to do that if they haven't got the investment. So I think, you know, for me, this has always been a, been a, as much as possible a partnership between government and business. And a small country, we keep saying it, don't we? Team Wales, small country, we can be, you know, quick and agile and we can do all of this. But you have to work with, or public sector has to work better with the private sector to do that. It still feels sort of cloak and dagger. We won't tell you what our plans are and, until it's probably too late to, for you to, to plan anything properly. So... That is a big disappointment. That's what's kind of in my letter to the deputy minister, really. Let's have some certainty. Let's have some visibility on this. And then the private sector will step up and do some good stuff, but not if it's um, not in the current sort of transactional way, which is almost like a master-servant type of uh, relationship. That doesn't help any of us. Pretty, some pretty shocking uh, statements in there, Ed. And I, I think we're going to come on to the, the rail industry a little later. But, Paula, I just want to pick up on that with you, you know, I think Ed's really positive about what the industry can do, and particularly in changing the the 
the sustainability of the kind of infrastructure development. But I think it's fair to say we really do need that infrastructure maintained well. And as I mentioned, it's nice to have the separated out active travel routes, but most active travel is still on normal roads and we need those services to be suitable to get people out there on bikes and walking more, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot to say about all this. I mean, the Menai, third Menai crossing is quite a, an interesting one for that because it kind of brought North Wales into stark focus as well. And I live I live just 20 minutes from uh, Menai Bridge and, and North Wales has a serious lack of underinvestment in uh, infrastructure, but that shouldn't be shiny big road building projects that we can't afford anyway but it could really do with having actual funding and investment into decent alternatives because the public transport around here is absolutely shocking i have many friends who rely on public transport and who struggle getting around i myself bought a vehicle again moving up north because it was the best way to get around and and i think we need to really really take a look now at how do we actually transition from we are no longer investing in these uh, damaging projects, but we are now offering the right alternatives for the people in the places that need it most. And yeah, obviously North Wales uh, is one of these examples with Menai Bridge. I don't think we need a third bridge. Um, it's a very emotional issue, but I also think there is lots that can be done on the resilience of the network in terms of public transport before we build a new bridge that will be that we will struggle to maintain further like further down the line as well. Aaron, one of the things you mentioned earlier around the bus and coach industry, that really does rely on the infrastructure we've got. And if we want people to leave their cars, we need the bus sector to really be able to maximise the availability of good infrastructure. Do you, do you see the bus sector really being able to step up and deliver that replacement to cars, what we need? Look, I think for, for me, the point Ed made around investment in existing infrastructure is really, really important here. That you touched on the state of the state of the roads at the moment, Kerry. That that is a disincentive to to buses. It damages buses. It makes it harder and, and increases increases our costs. And we need to think about that. But equally, we've seen ex- exist in investment in existing infrastructure throughout the pandemic in terms of the huge amount of money that went into active travel. Fantastic. No one's going to criticise that. It, it, it meets the aspiration of, that we're all working towards. But we've not seen the same investment in bus priority, for example. And clearly, one of the drivers here is not just the principles behind well-being of future generations. It's not just the decarbonisation of our transport system. It's also been the fiscal reality that Welsh Government face in terms of its ability to invest in some of those big projects at the moment. So I appreciate that the challenge financially is enormous for Welsh Government, but the value for money of investing in bus priority lanes, for example, the, the the modal shift that brings, the savings it brings to other parts of the public purse will be enormous in time. So yes, in, in short, the bus the bus industry is up for 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 it, but we need we need certainty. We need there to be an incentive to catch the bus, and at the moment we we don't really have either of those things. So the conversation at the moment with Welsh government, you know, they they put out a statement on Friday with us. Which which is that bears the emergency funding will come to an end at the end of the school term. That looks like it for emergency funding for the for the bus industry in Wales. The question then is going to be what's commercial, what works already, and what stacks up. And let's be clear, the financial legal obligation on bus companies on private bus companies is that they can only run what's commercial 
unless there's government funding available. Then the next question is going to be which gaps that remain does government want to plug? You know, because because we can't get all of the people that were catching the bus during the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, back on the bus, there will be some underspend from the money that provides concessionary fares. So, you know, we could look at using that. But the question at the moment is about how we sustain what we've got rather than how we how we get to the next stage. And that's a pretty depressing conversation to walk into six weeks, you know, six weeks into this job. I'd like to be having the conversation about about modal shift around, you know, how do we reach those really aspirational targets the Welsh government has? But it's a fight for survival at the moment. And, and you know, that's not it's not a great place to be. So, you know, let's let's get some stability into the sector for the next 12, 18 months. Let's create a set of circumstances where we can actually get people back on the bus because the numbers still aren't where we need them to be. And then and then perhaps that longer term conversation can can flow from there. Ed, what Aaron mentioned there about the realities of Welsh government fiscal envelope and budget, the one area in Wales which is having a kind of bit of a boom time and the biggest investment since Victorian times is some of our rail industry. Really interesting topic for me, for anyone who's listened to the pod before, bus v rail. But the South Wales Metro has, however, hit the buffers a little bit, 40% over budget announced recently. Uh, that's going to sting somewhat in terms of those kind of fiscal envelopes. It's fair to say that these kind of infrastructure projects do go overboard and the pandemic. So should we be too worried about that kind of position? Yeah, well, there's a number of things in that, Kerry. I think uh, first thing, just before we leave uh, Aaron and the buses, I've got to be honest. I, I I think buses is the is the quick, easy win in so many of these things, you know, because rail projects are damn expensive. They, they, you know, they really are expensive, and they don't necessarily. Well, I'll come back to the uh, the the core values, but they don't always pick up um, perhaps as as many people and communities as 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 you'd like them to. Whereas a bus, you know, it it, it just does. So that, that's my own personal thing. I, I'd I'd love to see more more investment in in the buses. To be honest with you, as far as the the, the cost of infrastructure, um, you know, more more generally is concerned, yeah, we've had some horrific overruns, and we. Uh, on 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 certain projects, there are some specifics here. You know, you, you can't get away from the pandemic having really you know screwed a lot of things up. They have, you know, um, the uh, the the amount of investment that was 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 going into the core valley lines to do almost nothing, um, just just holding operations in some cases because of because of the pandemic. So on top of that, some pretty oh, it's pretty difficult um, uh, inflationary uh, pressures. Uh, you know, and 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 they have. We've 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 almost had a decade before this period. We have had a decade of um, a pretty stable. Um, you know, low low inflation, low interest rates, great for businesses, and great for estimating projects as well because you've got that stability. You haven't had that over the last two years. And you know, I I I've met, I was meeting with our members on a monthly basis to talk about the cost increases on materials. If you could get them, um, the costs were going up. You know, you were literally having to put. Um, put your orders in for steel today because by tomorrow it would have gone up by another 5%. So, you know, it, it, it has been incredibly difficult to do that. But of course, if you're talking of projects at that scale, then, a, you know, a 5% increase is, is massive really. And wouldn't it be great to have a, you know, a Barnet consequential from HS2 and Northern powerhouse that would solve all our problems, wouldn't it? You know, because, because, you know, the, 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 both those situations are absolutely ridiculous, but if that came in, to the the coffers of the Welsh government, God, we could make such such a difference. I I just think the rail 
it does get the lion's share of funding, but you know the the criticism for the budget going overrun is a hard one because, like you said, it's incredibly hard with inflation and the pandemic to put uh, amounts on that. But it's obviously a big hit for Welsh government and got them tied up in last year's underspend. They had to return to treasury kind of issue because I think we all know where that 155 million was going to go. Just working on that, it's amazing to think of what an extra six odd, six and a half billion pounds could do to the Welsh government budget, and that's not just in terms of transport. That's in terms of everything else that could, you know, make it easier perhaps to to get the modal shift that we desire. But Paolo, it, it is modal shift I want to talk to you about. How far along the line do you think we are, and what more could the Welsh government do in order to inspire this modal shift? Um, I mean, I, I want to say one thing about bus services as well, just uh, because that's part of modal shift. I think that one thing that hasn't been mentioned is how important an equality issue bus services are as well, um, because the people that rely most on bus services are people that live in rural Wales, but also people that are most vulnerable. So beyond it being an easy win to some extent in terms of investment, it also is an equality issue. And as the Welsh government being forward-looking and really about bring, making sure that um, the the most vulnerable don't suffer more. I think that the bus services and the bus industry needs funding for obvious equality reasons as well. I, I mean, the funding question is also, an. In, I know you asked me about modal shift, but um, but it is comes down to funding at the end of the day as well. It's how much funding we now invest in making the alternatives suitable, making them viable, making them attractive and accessible and making sure that they're there in some cases. And I think we have a long way to go. Um, I think there is also behavior change that's needed and there'll be a comms aspect to that as well, not just about making sure the infrastructure is there, but also giving people, making people aware that the infrastructure is there and usable and accessible to them and making sure that the user experience is nice and also making sure that that nice user experience is shared and known so that people actually want to use those services. I mean, speaking to my housemate uh, who came back on the train and had train cancellations and rail replacement services just a couple of days ago, and she she was just saying, well, it's discouraging her to use public transport. And that's, I think, one of the massive issues we're facing is the fact that currently the offer isn't attractive enough and that will require investment in infrastructure as well as in the the softer i guess measures of like getting people back onto public transport and but yeah and and funding i mean that is all an issue of funding at the end of the day and i have a lot to say about the hs2 uh consequential but i guess we might get onto that in a little bit <laughs> oh don't worry we absolutely will have a whole section on that whilst you're talking about equalities paula i think one of the one of the groups that has been concerned about the lack of engagement they've had with whether it be with the panel or with welsh government uh disabled people who are concerned that for a lot of them their car is their is their way to experience the world you know they 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 struggle to get on trains their taxi provision is terrible in some places buses are not always the easiest to get on this is one of these areas that i, I always find myself talking about but how how do welsh government move on from that and do, does there do there need to be uh a carve out to, to so the messaging isn't always so absolute so that there is an understanding that some people aren't always able to to have this shift yeah i mean there's something to say about the fact that this is not a the roads review isn't just a ban on all roads 
and also that it's uh, a move towards easing congestion, arguably, to make the roads more usable for those that will continue using them. So I think that um, as a broader kind of issue, easing congestion will help people that have to use cars and also other, uh, well, I guess, freight and logistics, hopefully. <laughs> but then, yeah, I mean, there is a lack of engagement with with uh, disability groups. And I mean, that's something that I was working on already at Sustrans, trying to work a lot more with Disability Wales at the time. But it's difficult to do, but also it needs to be done and it needs to be done better. And I think, yeah, there's a lot, yeah, that we, we tend to talk in our silos and equality has to be part of transport and the way that um, our sustainable transport uh, means are more accessible to people with disabilities is, is, is one of the issues. And obviously making sure that it's not, the messaging isn't just, uh, we, we're just not doing any more roads because roads are, are rubbish anyway and nobody needs them. It's like, that's not what it's about. But I think it's, yeah, just making sure that we talk to everybody and not just the people we tend to normally speak to. Yeah, I just if I can just come in on that, I think a, a couple of things. So I think um, Paula's points around kind of equality and social justice, the bus is such an important part of the social fabric of Wales. And and I think train train journeys and the infrastructure in trains and the debate around the budget at the moment gets a lot of attention. But three times as many people catch a bus every day as catch a train. And and I think it's it's quite easy to forget that. And I think politicians have been reminded over the last few months with threats to some of those service services how important the bus is to people. And often because of the pricing structures, because of the distance of journeys, buses are much more affordable options. So for the poorest people in society, access and services where they might only need to make one journey a week to go to the job center or to their local surgery or, or, or whatever. Um, it's a much, much more affordable option. So we're not just talking kind of big economics here. This is local personal stuff and it's really, really important. And you asked the question on modal shift. I mean, if I can be blunt, we're absolutely miles off. We did uh, we did a piece of research which we launched prior to me joining in, in January, and it estimated that the current kind of policy environment, the current context would deliver about 34% by 2050 of the modal shift that's needed. So there's about 118% gap um, with the with, with the kind of transformative nature of what of, of what is needed to get us there. And I think it's really easy to kind of get into simplistic, you know, do we change the bus pricing structure? Do we build different types of road, et cetera, et cetera. But to deliver that scale of transformation, we're going to need a package of policy reforms. And it's not it's not one thing. So I've talked about bus prioritization. That's only part of it. We need to increase the attractiveness of the bus network. And hacking away at services at the moment is not going to help that. We do need to make buses cheaper. I think if you look at what's happened in Scotland recently, you know, they've made buses free for under under 22s. I've seen a huge spike in um in, in people using the bus. And and just speaking anecdotally, I was with Edwards coaches today in uh, in Ponteclean and they were they were talking in glowing terms about the trial that RCT have run for free buses over the last few weeks. And you know, they've seen 40% increase there in the numbers of people catching the bus locally. So we do need to do that, but we also need to get into discouraging the use of cars. We need to get into kind of behavioral interventions that, that Paul has talked about. And I just don't see any kind of vision on this stuff at the moment. You know, the road, the road review is, is positive, the, the, but we're in, we're in this kind of vicious cycle at the moment where it doesn't feel like any of public transport is particularly attractive in lots of parts of Wales. And the worse the problem gets, the more we get into that cycle. And it's very, very hard to shift from there to that kind of longer term, longer term vision. 
Yeah, this is going to be very revealing to everybody who doesn't who listens to this podcast and doesn't know I am the biggest city boy on the planet, only ever having lived in Cardiff and London. So rural connectivity is, you know, is, is something I do on the weekends rather than as, uh, as a daily basis. But the, having lived in London, I know that the reason the public transport works so well in London is because it is simultaneously really easy to use public transport and an absolute nightmare to drive a car. Not to jump on that, Matt, but I, I, I think that a lot of people talk about London as this kind of this panacea, this you know, this utopian kind of land for public transport. One of the reasons London works is you've got the critical mass of people to make it work and to make it commercially stack up. And I think one of the risks we haven't talked about franchising, we probably aren't going to have time to kind of get into it in any great depth. But one of the risks is that Welsh government's aspiration towards franchising of bus services at the moment, they they are looking at what's happened in London over the years. They're looking at what's happening in Manchester. London and Manchester aren't Wales. London and Manchester aren't even Cardiff. I mean, Cardiff doesn't really have the type of population and and de- density of population to make a London or Manchester model work. So I agree. I've spent a lot of time in London. I think it's fantastic, but we probably can't get there and we need to be honest about that. What, what's brilliant, Aaron, is that you stole my next question about franchising. So I'm now very happy to move over to, uh, to hand back over to Kerry. I know. I, I was just loving Aaron's uh, point around London and that we cannot become those kind of big English metropolitan areas as much as we might want to be. So, Ed, as well as your civil engineering uh, hat, you, you do some work with, with pedal power, obviously, trying to make uh, cycling more inclusive. Where do you think we are with the active travel sector at the moment? Well, we've certainly seen investment uh, through the pandemic period, and it, and it was great. I'll tell you what, from a business point of view, it was fantastic because we were really, really struggling. Um, but yeah, we, we've seen that. Well, we've seen it. We've seen the the results. I think in areas like Cardiff, uh, I speak about Cardiff because I'm, I'm I'm there most of the time. But I'm actually up in the north at the moment, not far from Llanbedder, actually, where the bypass was cancelled. Anyway, we won't go back to that one just yet. The active travel here is a different animal. As is as is public transport and buses, really. That I take the point that we're not in you know, Cardiff is not a London or a um, or a Manchester. Nevertheless, it's got a damn sight better chance of getting the public transport thing working alongside active travel, discouraging the car and all the rest of it. So I can see how that works. And coming back to the Welsh government's policy on flu, you know fluid newith, perfect. You know the, the the two go hand in hand. My and and our as a sector a big, biggest um, sort of grievances, should we say, with with Clibbernet, with was that urban versus rural bit. It's such an urban centric policy uh, and approach. And the other one is around freight. I've witted and gone completely off tack now, am I, with uh, active travel? I'm going to come back to active travel now. I suppose what I see is in terms of uh, the likes of Cardiff, active travel, you've, you, wherever you go now, there are cycle lanes everywhere, bus lanes. You know, it, it, it is working, I think, quite, quite well. And as somebody who likes to cycle, uh, you know, it, it makes it safer for me to get back on the bike in town centres. If I bring the disability thing and the equality thing you know if we're going to do active travel for all i think we've got a long way to go on that you know as as a trustee with 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 pedal power you know a charity which which provides adapted bikes for disabled people you know we've got all the 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 facilities there to be able to to get encourage more people people who lack confidence people who are disabled to to share in the same benefits that able-bodied people can do around uh, uh around cardiff uh, and yet, if you look at the way a lot of these projects are designed, 
they're not conducive to uh, to 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 people with disabilities on adaptive bikes, uh, and this has been an issue long before the whole active travel thing sprung up. But you would have thought by now that had they been adequately catered for, you know, you would have had the design uh, skills in place. You'd have had people driving this. I'm kind of looking at Paula now, but uh, you know, Sustrans ha- ha- have a role in this. And I know you try to push it, but. Given that so many, so much of this investment has come through local government, I'm not convinced that they've been particularly hot on this. I don't think they've been particularly. Um, they put all the sort of the, the the normal bits in, should we say? But in terms of adapting them for um, disabled people, I think it's a long, long way to go, and that's such a shame because this investment won't last forever. I suspect by the time it's gone, we might get around to uh, thinking about disabled people. I worked at Sustrans, well, a year and a half ago now. I mean, there is already struggles on the delivery side when it comes to even just active travel routes themselves and active travel infrastructure themselves on local authority level. So I think the behaviour change comes down slowly. And then obviously the disability side of things is even more slow to trickle down. So I think there is a lot to be, yeah, a lot of work to be done on that. To some extent, at the time, my colleagues at Sustrans were involving people early on in the design stages as well to make sure that there was another perspective on the design of the infrastructure. But yeah, there's a long way to go. And it's very dependent on which council is more interested in doing more on that. And and yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done on that. And I mean... Living in the north, as you say, it's a whole different beast. And but saying that, I mean, Bangor could really benefit from some of some active travel routes as well. You know, it's like there is still stuff that can be done in smaller towns that would make a difference to local transport and active travel as well. My local part of Cardiff has lost its uh, bus service due to a poorly designed active travel route, which I am fuming about, and I'll carry on until I get my bus reinstated. But um, I am going to well, take... A... Basically, what that ward should have done in 2017, Kerry, is vote for me. And then we would have had a completely different kind of conversation. That's all I'm, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, anyway, Violet, you know, we, we are going to go left field now. We, we've done buses, we've done rail, we've done roads. We try to shoehorn everything in. And I think each of these areas could have had their own pod. And I think we will come back to some of them later in the year. But the one area we haven't mentioned is the the air sector. Cardiff Airport has been in the news recently as as ITV have looked back over the past decade in public ownership. And I think the one thing we can take from that decade is that it's been very very costly to the Welsh public purse. You know, I'm not I'm not going to focus on Wales, but April the first saw the UK government halve domestic air passenger tax. That's got to be a really backward step, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite an interesting one. It's it's just very biased, isn't it? I mean, we've we've had that happen on April the first, and then we've had, I mean, the fuel duty freeze continue whilst the rail fares are increasing. And I mean, at some point, there needs to be something changed in terms of how. Yeah, we just need to be stop being biased in terms of which types of transport we subsidize and which we don't and how much we subsidize which and how we use the funding from those maybe towards others i don't know there's a big question about funding and how we get creative with funding because clearly there is an issue and we don't have much money and welsh government are between a rock and a hard place even though obviously we still need to campaign for them to invest more in in the right transport infrastructure 
but there is something to be said about how do we get creative here because and and with the stuff happening on uk government level it's like it's yeah. just a you know it's a bit of a losing battle it feels <laughs> yeah I, I mean i i speak as somebody with a who, who had a recent personal interest in this because i split my time between south wales and scotland for my last role and it was absolutely crazy to me how often even when you factor in the more expensive parking, the travel to Bristol Airport, how often flying to Glasgow was the most economically sensible choice. And so then to cut tax further on something which is doing the damage that we know it's doing to the environment and to nature is is just, yeah, it, it's completely bonkers. And, and I, I think, I mean, I've seen people, again, lobbying recently for the reinstatement of the, the short-lived Cardiff to London flight. It's just striking that, you know, we need we need to kind of extract ourselves from this framework of thinking that the cheapest and these carbon-intensive ways of working are our best. And it feels like, you know, we, we've all had, we've all raised issues with current public transport policy in Wales today. But when, when you look back at where this stems from, the roads review coming from a government that wants to take action on climate, wants to take action on all of the kind of issues of well-being, it feels like at least we're in a better starting point than one who is willing to hack the tax off domestic flights. I, I think that that that's a it's a good starting point to be to be at. Um, and there's there's lots of problems with with that, which I, I'll uh, I'll leave to others. So interestingly, is it still Welsh government policy to have uh, air passenger duty devolved to Wales? With I you'd assume the intention to cut it. I, I do agree with you, but it is interesting to see that. At least I haven't seen anything publicly a change in that policy. Kerry, you're gonna, you're nodding, so I think you I, know. No, no, I, I think they still want it devolved, but I wouldn't like to say which way they'd go with it. Now we've got a, a very forthright transport minister in Lee, who I don't think he would uh, cut it. May well even go back up, but um, the funding, funding is interesting. It's one of our last questions to all three of you, really. You know, we've talked about Barnet consequential, and the big one for Wales is. The HS2 consequential, which if we followed the normal kind of funding formula, it's at least five billion uh, to Wales from HS2. It could fund all that we want. You know, the hundred million pound tram in Cardiff Bay. We could even lengthen it to some useful places in Cardiff. Ed, that's something we've got to look at, really, isn't it? How it's back to funding from the UK on some of these big capital infrastructure programs. Yeah, it is. It's look. I think you know, going right to the very start of this, really, you know, the challenge for us in Wales was always going to be introducing, you know, the alternative transport options, kind of before or as we wound down the uh, the roads investment. You know, these kind of decisions to not grant Wales consequentials HS two, where the Department for Transport's own studies show that Wales is in a detrimental position the north possibly okay if certain things happen but overall i think it's about 150 million pounds a year you know a hit to the economy that cannot be um you know an england wales project otherwise it just shows really where where wales stands and then the northern powerhouse thing just to um just to rub salt in the wounds again that uh, you know if, yeah we can i can be political here can i this is this is me my personal view now but the, the whole thing about rail devolution I think a lot of Labour MPs and um, and Senate members need to hang their heads in shame on this because, you know, we've had the opportunities to to have rail devolved. That would have taken the whole issue around consequentials out of it, you know, and we'd be having different discussions as they're having in Scotland where they're able to, you know, invest properly in their 
rail network up there. And if Transport for Wales really want to get stuck into, you know, integrated transport plans and so on, if they haven't got that access to that those kinds of monies and, and the decision making as well, then it's going to be really, really difficult. And, you know, there's, there's a reason why rail and road are so should be integrated, but are not integrated. And that's because of the way the structures are set up. Road, roads have always been, either, well, devolved to Wales, dealt with by local authorities. Rail hasn't. It's been network rail. That's a massive beast. You try and get network rail to change and play ball and integrate and you know, do decision, you know, take decisions for the common good. My God, it's really, really difficult. So you've got a whole issue there around investment levels, but you've also got the underpinning structures, and they're not right in Wales at the moment. And personally, I think we need rail devolved. And and one of the reasons why it wasn't, or people said it wasn't, was around the risk factor. You know, if you had a major catastrophe and a right right failure, well. That that's only going to happen if you haven't done your asset um your asset transfer properly and understanding what your assets are you know so I I don't buy that at all there was it was a political decision not to do it and we're really paying the price for it now. Aaron, I'm interested in your view because we're talking capital here, but one of the big issues I've got with Welsh Transport is the revenue side of it. I am really really nervous around the South Wales Metro long term revenue because I think it'll be detrimental to buses, but. Again, if we had this kind of funding through Barnet from the UK government, it would make that picture a lot happier as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Harry, you need you need both capital and revenue to make the transport system stack up. We, we talked about you know the need for investment in in existing infrastructure, and 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 we you need you need capital to do that. Interestingly, we're the only part of the UK that doesn't have a defined budget capital budget for investment in zero emissions buses at the moment um so we could do we could do a lot of interesting things with capital to drive us towards modal shift i think to take the revenue point and i i didn't kind of speak too much about the tension at the moment with the with the funding of the rail the rail system and and, and transport for wales i think there's there's a risk that we end up kind of debasing the argument for all public transport by playing one off against the other. And actually, to achieve modal shift, we need successful rail and successful bus and successful active travel. They all need to be in harmony and they all need to speak to each other. So there are risks to the bus sector from a transport budget, which seems to be being ploughed into into, tra- into rail at the moment. But we need both. And, and, and I think that means hard decisions for ministers on how they how they make the case for that and how they secure the budget for it and how we use our tax raising powers and and various borrowing powers to make things make things work properly you know decisions around consequentials on hs2 and northern powerhouse clearly don't help that and i think speak to um you know speak to intergovernmental relations between wales and the uk which are, are not satisfactory and don't help any of us Yes, on the HS2. I mean, I I come at it from a campaigning perspective. We just need as many voices as possible to fight for a consequential. It might never happen. We don't know. Okay, but we still need all politicians that can to talk about this being an issue. And we, because at the end of the day, Welsh Government have limited amounts of money. Okay, so this is a fact. We need to solve this. So what are the options? And, And I mean, we yeah, we've been... Uh, because uh, Transport Action Network run a lot of legal actions against the UK government, well, against uh, national highways. There is, I mean, obviously we talk about it in legal terms as well. And so does it, do we need a legal action against UK government on this? I don't know. The the Barnet consequential is, is a really important one in terms of if we had that, 
look at where we could be. And it's we we somehow we I think all politicians should be challenging this, and as many voices as possible should be highlighting how much Wales lost out on it. And I mean, just watching how the Conservatives have a tendency of saying that this is benefiting Wales, it's just not that true. I mean, there's some very marginal benefits, okay, but but realistically, I mean, I live on the North Wales line. Getting to London that little bit quicker is not useful. And also we much would prefer a better system within Wales than being linked to London just that slightly bit quicker. So yeah, I think the Barnet consequential one needs to be more on the table and spoken about much more outright and campaigned for and lobbied for by politicians and organisations. It's a really interesting point that actually in Wales, in the Senate, there is complete political unanimity. Everybody in that building believes that Wales should receive its fair share of Barnet consequentials. But as with many things, it's not a Welsh problem, it's a Westminster one. Uh, And before I get into any more trouble, I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of you for coming on the show this evening to talk to us. If people want to find you on social media, perhaps Twitter, if you're still there, uh, where can they go? Paula? Um, on Twitter, we can be followed at Tan Cymru, I think, is our handle. Fab. Aaron? Uh, I'm tweets by A. Hill and uh, the organisation CPT UK. And Ed? Oh, tweets at Seeker Wales. Fab. Uh, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find Hereith on the socials at Hereith Pod. Or go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you very much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallet, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash hereithpod. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.